For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Durr Show. I don't know how many of you saw uh, last night. I was on the Mark Levin uh, show uh, on Fox, which is a very widely watched Fox Sunday night uh, show, and uh, it was very successful. I have to tell you, just being on his show, I talked about my book a little bit. Mostly I talked about what's going on in, in academia. You could probably get it on online. It was, a, it was a good interview. But as the result of that interview, um, get Trump back on the Amazon bestseller list, way, way up there. Uh, it just jumped enormously as the result of this one, one interview. Uh, it's amazing how sensitive uh, books can be to to widespread media coverage of the kind that uh, occurs on on Mark on Mark Levin, um, you know I don't agree with uh, everything on Fox to say the least, or with everything Mark Levin says, but he certainly has a wide uh, audience, and um, be interesting to see what happens when um, there are replacements uh, now for people who are no longer on Fox, and we'll see how how Fox. Um, b- competes with Newsmax, where where I'm a, a, a contributor, uh, and CNN, where I'm not welcome, and MSNBC, where I've been banned. So we'll see how that shakes out. But, uh, you know, America is in trouble when it comes to the media. There's nowhere to go just to get objective, neutral uh, news of the Walter Cronkite type. Those get, days are gone forever. Today, you just have to go to multiple sources and, and get uh, information from multiple sources and make up your own mind. And a good example of that, of how divided our society is, particularly along racial lines, but just in general, is the tragic death that occurred in the New York subway, a subway that I grew up in. You know, I took three trains to get to high school every single uh, day and uh, three trains to get to Ebbets Field. Um, uh, or I could take two trains and a bus, uh, but three, three transportation vehicles to get to school. Well, in one of those trains, one that I'm, that I rode on very, very frequently, there was a, a terrible, a terrible tragedy, a homeless man with multiple convictions for violent, uh, crime, including one where he bashed in the head of an elderly woman and she had brain damage uh, and many other crimes. Uh, there's no reason this man ever should have been uh, on, on the streets or in the subway. Um, if he was mentally ill, he should be in a mental hospital. If he's a criminal, he should be in prison. But the idea that he should be riding on the subway and, and threatening uh, people. Now, he may not have intended to threaten anybody and he didn't have a gun or a knife as far as anybody knows. And and the people involved probably didn't know, certainly didn't know of his arrest record, but uh, I'm sure they were scared. Uh, you go on the subway, it's an enclosed area. You have no access to police. People tend to mind their own business uh, and not get involved. And you get somebody coming over screaming and yelling, you don't know whether that person is violent or not. Well, 
an ex-Marine uh, named um, uh, Daniel Penny, 24 years old, decided to intervene. I'm sure he'll never intervene again. But he decided to intervene, and he grabbed um, Jordan Neely, who was 30 years old, and, and put him in what he said uh, was a Marine-authorized headlock, which was designed to subdue somebody in the context of warfare. Obviously, this is warfare. And as a result of grabbing him around the neck and holding him for a relatively short period of time, this is not like what happened with, with George Floyd with a long extended period of time. But in a relatively short period of time, uh, the man was unconscious and was taken to the hospital and died. And the uh, coroner has ruled the death a homicide. Now, it doesn't mean very much. All it means is that the cause of death was not suicide, was not an accident. It was administered by someone else. Now, whether it constitutes a criminal act, and if so, what criminal act, is a very difficult question. So I will do a Harvard Law School seminar for you on the pros and cons and the various issues that will arise. Some of them have been in the newspaper. Some have not been in the newspaper. Some you'll hear from me for the first time. Um, again, I have, you know, I've defended, I can't even count now, is it? It's around 30, maybe a little bit more, 30 homicide cases, um, um, murder, some of you know the murder cases, obviously. Um, they're, they're well known, uh, O.J. Simpson and, and, and others. Some have been attempted murder or assault with intent to kill, like the Klaus von Bülow case. And I've won the vast, vast, vast majority of them. I think it was something, it was more than 25 out of 30 that um, I've won. And I have won that I won uh, and is now back up on appeal because he pleaded guilty to a lesser offense. So I've had a pretty good record and a long experience, probably as much experience as a criminal defense lawyer as almost anybody in defending homicide type cases. And I know these cases very well. And I've you know, been involved in accidental death cases, the case involving um, uh, the, uh, the shooting, uh, the previous shooting pr prior to the one that's made all the, the news now um, uh, on the set uh, of a movie uh, where um, an actor was killed and I consulted on that case and I consulted and more than consulted was one of the lawyers uh, on the case um, involving the helicopter that uh, uh, crashed into Vic Morrow and killed him and two, and two children. So it's an area of law that I'm very familiar with. So let's first set out the facts as we know them and not do what AOC disgracefully did, um, in which she said, she declared, she declared this ex-Marine guilty of murder, not of manslaughter, not of reckless homicide, but of murder. You know, there's not a chance in a trillion that he could be convicted of murder based on the evidence that we now know. But that's never stopped AOC from saying anything. I just ask you to imagine if the shoe was on the other foot, if the man who had, uh, uh, gotten the chokehold, the ex-Marine had been black, and the homeless person uh, who was killed had been white. Would AOC be saying anything? Of course not. Well, maybe she would be saying something, but not what she said uh, about this case. This is all about race. 
Um, the fact that the victim in the case was African-American and the alleged perpetrator is white uh, changes everything. That's why there are demonstrations in the street. There weren't, wouldn't be demonstrations in the street if this were a white homeless uh, person. There might be, but it wouldn't be attended by the people uh, who are attending it. And it wouldn't have led to comments made by AOC. We have become in this country, I hate to use this term, we are now a systematically, systemically racist country. We were a systemically racist country in the 1920s, uh, uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, until Brown versus Board of Education. We were systemically anti-Black. We were systemically anti-Semitic. We were systemically anti-Catholic. We were systemically anti-gay. The system was all directed against these minorities. Then from, I would say, 54 to the beginning of the century, we became not a systemically racist country. We became a country with pockets of racism, too much racism. But the systems were not systemically uh, uh, focused on, uh, on, on race to the advantage of, of minorities. And now in the last, maybe it's 20 years, maybe it's 10 years, certainly since the death of George Floyd, we have once again become a systemically racist country. Everything is seen through the eyes of, of race. Um, Academy Awards are awarded based on, on, on race. Uh, college and university admission based uh, very considerably on, on race. Uh, protests of this kind based largely on, on race. Everything is about race today. Uh, corporations see things through the prism of, of race culture is today based on race. Plays on Broadway, uh, movies, awards, everything is based on race. It's the opposite of Martin Luther King's dream of a society where his children will be judged on the quality of their character, not on the um, color of their skin. We've, that, that dream has turned into a nightmare where today everything is based on, on race. That may come to an end when the Supreme Court decides its case involving Harvard University and the University of North Carolina. But I digress from the issue of what happened at the train, except that the issue of what happened at the train and what happened afterward in the reaction to it is all about race. If the shoe were on the other foot, we would not be having this discussion because nobody would even know about the death. It would, be, would have been reported on page 28 of the Daily News uh, or the New York Post. It would not have uh, achieved the status it has achieved uh, today. The same thing, by the way, is true of the George Floyd case. Um, uh, the George Floyd case, of course, is much, much worse. There, I don't think you can use the word murder, but you can certainly talk about very, very, very serious uh, criminal conduct uh, on the part of the person who uh, conducted the, in, the police arrest and, and held the person in, in a, in a chokehold uh, for a long, long, long period of time. There, that is a homicide. This one could be, couldn't be. It, it really depends. There will be no murder charge, not first degree murder, not second degree murder. It's currently in front of a grand jury. The issues will be whether or not you can charge manslaughter or whether you can charge um, a, a reckless disregard, recklessness. Uh, those are close questions and reasonable people could disagree about that. Let me give you one issue that probably is not featured prominently in local media, but will determine the outcome of this case without a doubt. Let's assume he is tried for uh, some degree of homicide. The core issue will be 
will the record of the deceased person be shown to the jury? Will the jury know that he had, I don't know, 30 something arrests, including arrests for violence, including punching uh, elderly people in the head, causing brain damage? If the jury finds out about that, they will probably quit or they may be hung jury. If the jury doesn't find out about that, maybe they will convict. Um, now, it's a hard question because in, unless the defendant knew about it, and there's no reason why the defendant would have known about uh, the criminal record of the person that he held in the chokehold, um, there would be a strong argument for not admitting it. Uh, on the other hand, in some cases, it has been admitted. This case, in some respects, is similar to the infamous Bernard Getz case, but in another respect, it's very different. In one respect, the Bernard Getz case, Bernard Getz had a greater justification because the people who he shot um, were uh, in, involved in a, in, in, a, in a crime, and they had screwdrivers that were sharpened and turned into lethal weapons. How much of that he knew uh, was, was a question. On the other hand, Bernard Getz went onto the train looking for a fight with African-American people. He was a racist. There's no doubt about that. And he was looking for a fight, and he went on the train with a gun, which he was not supposed to have under New York law. And he much too quickly took it out and shot. And yet, in the end, um, mostly he was acquitted. Uh, it was a mixed verdict in some degree, complicated case, went up on appeal. I've taught that case for years. And so I know the facts uh, uh, fairly well. Uh, this case is different. Uh, this Marine didn't come on the um, train looking for any trouble. There's no indication that he has any uh, racist background or any problems in the past. Maybe some will come out. We don't know. And that might be admissible, um, uh, particularly if he were to take the stand. So a lot will turn on what's admissible and what's not admissible, even if we know the facts. You know, you think you know facts. Facts are different from admissible evidence uh, all over the city. The newspapers are mentioning the fact that uh, it is a fact that um, he was accused of uh, multiple crimes, including crimes of violence. That's a fact, but it may not be a fact that the jury ever hears. And if the jury comes back with a verdict of, uh, of guilty and then goes home and people say to them, how can you convict this guy? Do you know what this other guy was? He was a violent guy. Oh, my God, we didn't know that. Uh, juries don't get to know everything. And a lot of stuff juries don't get to know. So there's there's a lot that we're not sure of. Now, again, this is a perfect example of what's happening in America. There's no nuance in this discussion. And sometimes, occasionally, you'll get a, an intelligent commentator on television. But for the most part, there are two camps, the AOC, AOC camp and the camp of the protesters. Um, this guy, uh, this ex-Marine, um, uh, Daniel Perry, should be prosecuted for murder, should, some have even said, executed, ridiculous, life imprisonment, uh, throw the book at him. And others are saying, no, he's a hero. That's what people should do. They should inter intervene. They should protect vulnerable people on the, on the subway. The reality is that it's somewhere in between. Um, what he did was what he did was was wrong. Uh, 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 Daniel Perry, uh, Penny, he he should not have held him in what is a military hold that can 
produce death. He didn't intend to kill him. He didn't intend to, to hurt him. He intended to disable him as, until the cops came and, and took him away. That didn't turn out that way. Um, but what he did may be regarded as, as reckless, as uh, uh, unconcerned with the welfare of the person who he was holding. Those are fair points to have. What's not fair and what's so typical of today's America is the extreme views that each side holds. Um, you know, for 60 years, uh, I've tried to teach and explain to people that the world doesn't unfold in simple categories, guilt, innocent, bad, good. It often unfolds in, in gray areas, and it certainly doesn't unfold in areas of black and white. And I use those terms uh, literally because the world should not be seen through the prism of black and white. Um, uh, this same case could easily have happened with the races reversed or with people in both situations being of one race and everything would have been uh, different. So let's withhold judgment on all of these issues. Uh, let's let the process continue. Uh, let's not have AOC try to intrude into the process when everybody in the world knows she would be taking the opposite point of view if the uh, racial situation were uh, reversed. Let no one take seriously anything AOC says when it comes to uh, race uh, or when it comes to many, many other uh, things. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, let's let this thing play out in a nuanced way. Let's, let's learn everything we can. Um, there are lawyers representing both sides here, three, three sides, basically. There's the DA's office, uh, Bragg, the same DA that is improperly going after Donald Trump, seems to be looking at this case in a calibrated fashion, I'm not sure. Uh, the mayor of New York, uh, Adams, has so far um, been very responsible, and he, of course, was very critical, um, even if indirectly, of AOC and some of the extremists that uh, see everything in, in, racial, in racial terms. Uh, uh, Adams is an African-American man. He was a cop. He understands all sides of these issues. Uh, I like him a lot. I think he's been a good mayor at, at, a, at a dangerous time. And um, he should be listened to. Um, um, the grand jury, you know I don't trust grand juries. Uh, a grand jury will do anything that a prosecutor wants it to do. So the question is really going to be, what are Bragg's uh, assistant DAs going to tell the, the, the prosecutor in, in, the, in the case involving Getz? the grand jury was misinformed and that's what resulted in a reversal of the conviction. And that was under the auspices of a very good district attorney, but those things happen. And so we'll see, we'll see what the evidence is. We'll see, will the grand jury learn, for example, about the record uh, of, of Jordan Neely? I don't think so. I think the grand jury won't learn that uh, this is a person with long, long history. They may know it because remember grand juries are not, are not sequestered. They go home and they read the newspapers. And it's been all over the Daily News, the New York Post, and other newspapers, uh, his record. So um, uh, it's very likely grand jurors will know about it, although they'll probably be instructed not to take it into, into account. So this is a, a classic case requiring nuanced calibration and balance, um, all of which are elements that are missing from today's society. So I don't have a lot of confidence that this case 
will be resolved necessarily in a proper fashion, but we'll keep watching it and, and, and we'll see. Um, this is one of a large genre of cases, um, the case involving uh, Minnesota where uh, Kim Potter uh, was wrongly convicted of, um, of a homicide-related offense. Uh, she's just been let out of prison. She shouldn't have served a single day. She should perhaps have been suspended from the police force and required to take some uh, weapon sensitivity and training courses. But the idea of turning that into a crime was wrong. And then, of course, you have the case in, in, in involving uh, the Hollywood situations, um, um, and then this one. So uh, they're all different and they're all similar. They're all similar in the sense that uh, in none of the cases that we're dealing with, did anybody want somebody to die? And in all three cases, somebody died. Um, in, in, the, uh, in the Potter and, and New York case, there was a racial component. The people who were charged with killing were white. The people who were killed were black. In the Hollywood case, there was no racial component. And um, and uh, those charges were dropped. I, I can't imagine those charges would have been dropped if the victim had been had been black. So again, you may say I think and talk too much about race. I want a colorblind society. I wrote a book about that uh, a couple of years ago. It's called um, "The Case for Colorblind Equality in the Age of Identity Politics." So my views are very clear. I want a colorblind society. I want a society where people are recognized for the quality of their character. I want a society where merit is appreciated, where merit can be judged, um, taking into account the fact that people have had to go through different experiences and have had different disadvantages. Those are all part of meritocracy, but I certainly don't join in the campaign against meritocracy. And I certainly don't want to see race become a factor in deciding whether or not a person should be uh, prosecuted, but I'm afraid that uh, that is not only a factor, it has become the factor in many such cases. So I'd be interested in hearing your views on these matters. Um, let's turn to some letters now. Um, there were a lot of letters about <clears throat> um, about Israel and anti-Semitism because I spoke about that. Thank you for clarifying what anti-Semitism is, is and what it is not. But you blew it when you said 99% of those targeted Jews were not Semites. You said they were French, English, German, etc. Well, maybe they had their citizenship, but assimilation didn't work quite well for them. In fact, what triggered the movement currently known as Zionism was the realization of Theodore Herzl, an assimilated Jew himself, when he was sent to report on the Dreyfus trial, another assimilated Jew. That assimilation was not the answer. Well, you know, you can reasonably disagree go with that. Uh, we all know many people of Jewish heritage who have been uh, completely assimilated and lost their religious identity. Look at Ireland, for example. Um, Ireland uh, is a tiny little country. It's half the size of Israel. Um, it's smaller than New Jersey in terms of population. I think its population is like 5 million or something like that. You know how many Irish Americans there are? People who have heritage in Ireland? Over 30 million. Over 30 million, um, many of them are assimilated. I have a, an Irish uh, friend who married a Scottish man, and that was regarded as intermarriage and assimilation. Um, so, you know, assimilation is a matter of degree, and um, um, 
everything's an experiment. Israel is an experiment. Assimilation was an experiment. I'm a great admirer of Theodor Herzl. I have a collection of his writings and uh, of other Herzl memorabilia. I have one of his letters to his uh, daughter, um, letters to other people. So uh, Herzl foresaw the Holocaust and tried to do something about it. Uh, unfortunately, nobody, nobody was able to prevent the, the death of six million children and women. And who knows what illnesses could have been cured if six million people, many of whom were scientists and well-trained and doctors, uh, had been murdered by the Nazis. We'll just never know the real cost of the Holocaust. I'm so glad to hear you're somewhat involved in the compromise in the Israeli judicial overhaul. I looked at the initial law and thought most of it was fantastic and a few provisions were absolutely insane. It's good to know that there's an American wise man to mediate. Well, I don't know how wise I'm not mediating, but I'm obviously offering my opinions. Um, oh, here's one that says just essentially what, what I've been saying, but, but about not about the Holocaust, but about Israel. For those of you who are still anti-Israel but have loved ones who have cancer, you should be aware that Dr. Dan Peer at the University of Tel Aviv has successfully used uh, RNA nanodrugs to silence a gene that causes ovarian cancer to metastasize. This technology could lead to a cure for many types of cancer. So if you silence Israel, you will deprive the world of the many scientific advances that come out of that country. That's certainly, certainly obviously true. And the BDS effort, uh, which is anti-Semitic to its core, boycott, uh, divestment and sanctions, would prevent Israeli technology from cooperating with the technologies of other countries and would cause a setback in the need to cure illnesses, to help the environment, and to use technology in a productive way. Um, this is complimentary. This was one of the best 30 minutes that YouTube is to offer. If people can't think or act on enlightened principles and this country is done for, thank you for being a principled person who won't let loss of friends or tribal ignorance stop you from the straight and the moral course. I appreciate that. The Columbia professor who you were criticizing is likely to be Professor Joseph Massad, if the shoe fits. Uh, okay. Um, well, this is about the rape case um, in which Donald Trump is now being tried. I gather he's not going to testify. I think if he were, we'd know about it by this time. But, uh, well, I don't remember the day or year I was mugged at Lincoln Park in Chicago while riding my bike, but I sure as hell remember the experience. That's right. I mean, I can easily imagine a woman being subject to what this woman claims she was subjected to in the changing room at Bergdorf Goodman and not remembering the exact time and date. Uh, that doesn't mean that she's not telling the truth. It just means it's much harder for the defendant to come up with a defense, particularly an alibi defense. I wasn't there. I couldn't have been there. I was in Florida. I was so-and-so. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it doesn't mean she's not telling the truth. It just makes it harder for the defendant to defend against those uh, alleged truth. Okay. Just wondering if you think it's appropriate for someone to sit on the Supreme Court if they won't define a woman yeah, I can't define a woman. Um, I think I'd have been a pretty good Supreme Court justice, and I can't define a woman. Um, I know who was born female and who's born male, but if a person decides to live their life as 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 a woman, having been born a man, she's a woman. Um, so um, count me as disqualified 
from being on the Supreme Court if you have to define a woman in the way you think you have to define a woman. For me, um, I, I permit self-definition. Now, the issue of whether people who have transitioned from male to female should be allowed to compete in women's sports, that's a hard question. I, I see both sides of that issue. On balance, I've come out in favor of yes, with an asterisk or with awarding two first place prizes, one to the person who was born a woman and one to the person who was born a man. But that's a complicated issue. But no, I can't define a woman uh, for you um, specifically. Um, just like I couldn't define a Jew. Uh, what's a Jew? I mean, you know, the rabbis say a Jew is somebody whose mother was Jewish. Um, uh, I take a different view of, of that. Uh, and um, so there are a lot of things that you can't define. Defining is actually a poor way, or classification is often a very poor way of thinking. Um, life unfolds as a continuum, not in categories. So um, I would have, I would hope that I would have made a good Supreme Court justice, notwithstanding the fact that I have a different definition of who is a woman than perhaps you do. Doesn't both sides want to pack the court with their ideologues? Neither side is putting up judges that just call balls and strikes. I agree with you. You know, I knew one judge that just called balls and strikes. John Harlan, um, he was the uh, grandson of the first Justice Harlan, who dissented in Plessy versus Ferguson. He served on the Supreme Court when I was a law clerk, and he was a real gentleman. And I think he just called balls and strikes. I don't think he had a particular ideology, but for the most part, judges don't call balls and strikes. And even if they do, some have wider plates than others. And uh, the point, even when you're watching a baseball game, it's not whether an umpire calls a strike if the ball is slightly outside uh, the, the a home plate. It's whether he calls them consistently on both sides. If he has a wide plate for one team and a narrow plate for another team, that's wrong. But if he has a very wide plate for both teams, all right, you get used to that. That's uh, that's judgment. So I don't think judges will ever be in a situation where they really can be expected to call balls and strikes. I like uh, John Roberts very much. I remember him as a brilliant lawyer, brilliant student. Um, he was wrong when he said when he came to the bench, he just called balls and strikes. I think he's trying very hard to maintain the integrity and credibility of the Supreme Court, but he's not just calling balls and strikes. See you tomorrow. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.